Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we are at episode 52, it is November 6th. My name is Tyler and of course I'm with Pratik and Nick. And today we're going to be kicking it off with Nick because he likes to complain about how I always introduce Pratik first. So Nick, how are you doing today? I'm having an absolutely miserable day. I can't wait for this podcast, it's going to be great. Pratik, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. I got a new laptop today, so it was all like, you know, all the excitement. I guess two days ago, but this is the first time with our show that I've had, I've had a new laptop. So Discord kicked me out. I had a fun time, you know, trying to get back in. But now I'm in, baby. So let's do the show. There you go. And, you know, like Nick, you're saying you're having a bad time. You know, I think Joe Biden's having a pretty bad time, too. If you guys haven't heard, at the UN Climate Conference, he was caught falling asleep. So, Nick, you want to break it down for us? Yeah, all right. I, I resent the fact that you're saying he fell asleep, okay? I'm a de- Democrat shill, and I'd like to say he was just resting his eyes, all right? He had a busy week at the G20. He, he, was, he wasn't able to get the gelato that he so desperately desired in Italy while they were meeting in Rome. And, you know, he shows up to this conference. It's a climate conference. This is the most boring thing in the world. Um, actually, it, it really is a bad look. Like, if you look at this stuff, Joe Biden, his big thing for this year has been infrastructure, and he's been talking about climate, climate justice, climate investments, climate security, and all of this stuff gets packaged up, and this is the big show. This is the Super Bowl of international climate conferences. He shows up, first day, falls asleep, closes his eyes, whichever one it is, it's a terrible look. God help us. I think... I think it's funny that you had Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump in the past. Donald Trump was so energized. The dude, regardless of whether you liked him or didn't like him or whatever your ideas about politics are and how Donald Trump falls into that mold, like, it was just funny how Donald Trump was always, like, you know, energetic and was always, you know, bombastic about everything. And then he got Joe Biden. Joe Biden literally personifies a sleepy old grandpa as a president of the United States. It's the funniest thing of all time because all of these presidents are all old as, old, old as crap anyway. But with Joe Biden, it's just funny because that's the way everybody's imagined him whenever he was running in the primaries. And that's what he's become. It's exactly what you thought when you thought Joe Biden is president. Yeah, well, I, I think you guys are missing the point here. He's preserving his energy, and he was showing his nonchalantness to uh, show his dominant, assert his dominance at the U.S. Climate Conference. Uh, no, but really, yeah, I agree with you guys. It is absolutely not a good look. We have our president who can't manage to stay awake, and then we have Donald Trump, who's about the same age, acting like an energizer bunny. He's all over the place. If he was at the U.N. Climate Conference, he may have been grumpy. He may have had his arms crossed, but for sure that dude would be awake, whether he's hopped up on Adderall, or whatever they're giving him doesn't matter he would be awake he would be with it so it's kind of disappointing to see and with that major gaffe we're going to roll right into our next story talking about the approval ratings of joe biden uh, so prateek you want to lead that one yeah so just like the sleepy joe stuff that we were just talking about um joe biden has the lowest approval rate of any president at this stage in the presidency so roughly nine months into his presidency joe biden is on the verge of writing his name into the history books and not in a good way the latest polling from gallup pegs the president's approval at just 42 percent the lowest of his term to date and the second lowest of any president gallup has measured at this moment in their presidency the lower lower than joe biden was donald trump at 37 percent and joe biden's at 42 percent and the way that all these news agencies have pinned it, it just makes it sound really bad. Because, I mean, these a lot of these news agencies are all liberal-oriented, like Vox. Like, Vox says Biden's approval rating is very bad. Um, Democrats' losses in the governor elections and the 538 average of polls and everything, Joe Biden's in the water. Like, it's like, man, this is the way that everyone's thinking about Joe Biden right now. And the irony is that... Joe Biden had won because, you know, he was anti-Trump. He was the opposite of Trump, and that's why people thought that he would be the better option for the Democratic presidency. I mean, he had a lot of options, he had a lot of candidates running against him and everything, but this is a crazy storyline because, you know, we had a is four it crazy? years. It is. Pratik, is it really crazy that he has is. such low approval rates? It is. I mean, because even during the pri- like, who is he getting excited? Who is really amped about Joe Biden? No one. It was just, <laughs> oh, we hate Trump. Let's elect someone else. I know. But see, the way, way I think about it is this, is that whenever Joe Biden was running, he ran against 26 different people. 
Joe Biden was the vice president of Barack Obama, who, I mean, I mean, in this poll ratings, he was 52% in terms of how much he was loved in his first year. George W. Bush was 88%, Bill Clinton was 47%, um, and Bush Sr. was 70%. People love George Trump? Bush Sr. to the point where he you got kicked someone. out of office in the first, like, term. But I think... What about this, Trump? What about Trump? Yeah, we're talking. Joe Biden is the second lowest in the past five decades. Who was the first lowest approval rating? Donald, Donald Trump. Trump in at thirty-seven percent. So while Joe Biden's is incredibly low, really this has been going on for a little while now. Given that Trump had the exact same thing going on in his term, but so I it think, really shows how divided we are and how no one's enthused or excited for who we have as president. Uh, it's very disappointing. But I think Donald Trump was a little bit different, though, too, because Donald Trump, I mean, mm. since day one, they had like a whole election hearing going on about whether like he really won the election or not. Democrats fought tooth and nail to try to prove that Donald Trump did not win the election. It yeah, was almost like the, same, the thing, same thing, just the other way around. To, I know, right? That's, what, that's my point. So, so I, I didn't know that. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. was Tyler's point. So I don't know. Maybe maybe they're so down in the water because the first year is them just trying to prove that they were president. Who knows? <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. I, I think it really speaks to how divided the nation is and how it seems like we're aimless in a way. We, we don't have like a true certain direction that people want to follow. I mean, the fact that George W. Bush had an 88% approval 288 days and I know that had to do with war and stuff like that. But even still, we had COVID. We weren't able to unify around that. We had this whole Afghanistan thing. We're leaving Afghanistan. We've been there for 20 years. Botched the whole thing. Um, we're, we're, we've just made a lot of mistakes as of late. No one's amped up, excited to get going again. And then we had this climate conference. If you're a Democrat, that's a big thing, right? Like the fact that you're you're trying to make a change in the world. You've elected a Democrat president. Maybe this will be the, the beginning of the catalyst of the change that we want to see happen. And then you have the dude falling asleep. He's living up to his name of Sleepy Joe. How apt is that name, by the way? I, you you said it before and it reminded me. I'm like, Trump pinned him perfectly. Because now he called him Sleepy Joe for years and we have him falling asleep. It's just a terrible look. <laughs> and so what Vox said, so Vox's three major points that it said was one of the major reasons for Biden's decline in approval rating was Afghanistan withdrawal. Um, the recent midterm elections, or not midterm, the recent like offbeat elections before the midterms that were chaotic for the Democratic Party, and the coronavirus handling, which many people are saying that Biden has handled the coronavirus, you know, the whole situation in a really poor manner. And that's led to the whole like vaccine mandate stuff and all that stuff too. So let's do it. Let's roll on mandates. Um, yeah. So essentially, the Biden administration mandated vaccines, or you have to take a test, I think it's a couple times a week. Uh, for big companies, that means any business with 100 or more employees, also for all federal employees and federal contractors, and contractors who end up employing people, so that, that is an exception to the 100 people. But in any case, that deadline is January 4th, 2022. Now, it's gotten a lot of people riled up. DeSantis in Florida, the governor is like, we will not let this tyranny stand. South Carolina is trying to pass their own law. And honestly, you have to give props to the Biden administration. Just like how Bush's uh, lawyers found all of these loopholes for us to imprison and torture people in offshore sites or even go into war in the first place. Um, Biden's lawyers have found that through going going through OSHA, um, the Occupational Safety and Hazard um, Agency that's in the government that basically regulates like, oh, you know, if you're going to step on this ladder at work, you've got to have this certain you know protocols in place to safely do that for your employees. So they're like a watchdog on, you know, are you treating your employees fairly? And OSHA authority supersedes a lot of what these states can put into place. And so this, I think, was actually a very talented <laughs> way of circumventing some of those governor um, decrees, which is saying, hey, we're not going to enforce a federal mandate. But by doing it through OSHA, you get around that and you actually supersede some of these gubernatorial authorities. Yeah, it's talented, like an accountant is talented for a billionaire trying to evade taxes. You know, we, we love that kind of stuff. And um, the agent... Yeah, I the agency Sorry. estimated that the vaccine mandate will save more than 6,500 worker lives and prevent more than 250,000 hospitalizations over the next six months. Yeah, that's what they say. I mean, maybe that's a decent projection. Who knows? You have you have businesses like the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro. We were talking about him before the show that are actually suing about this. They're saying there's no way we're going to enforce something like this. I think there, you have enough people fighting back. You have enough people quitting their jobs that there's going to be some kind of 
some kind of recourse for this. I don't think that it's going to be as effective as the administration hopes it's going to be. Do you guys think it's 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 a valid way to get people to get these um, vaccines? Because I know, Pratik, you said before on your more authoritarian stance that we should just force <laughs> everyone to get vaccines anyway. So this is right in line with what it you is. wanted. Well, See, well, what do you guys think? I don't know. I feel like, I mean, in some cases, we're almost there now. I think um, there was some statistic that said 80% of the country is vaccinated. I don't really know how factual that is. I don't know who they're polling to ask. Like, I've yeah, got people you that didn't are... even cite that source. You just said some people are saying this. Hey, hey, <laughs> I listen to... I listen it has to, been said. I listen to the news, <laughs> the radio news. I think I was listening to Glenn Beck, I think, um... Yeah, Glenn Beck is also kind of a weirdo. But I was listening to Glenn Beck and Glenn Beck's side of that. I don't know where he cited that from. And Glenn Beck's people are usually the ones that are like like trying to promote this like vaccine stuff not being all 100%. That's a Glenn Beck thing. So if he's saying that, I feel like there's probably some truth to it. But I mean, my thing is that it's closer to a lot of people are get have at least got a dose or getting two doses. There was even a story that like the Pfizer people have come up with a dose for kids from five to eleven, and that's been a big issue in places like Canada where you've seen a major up up increase in the amount of COVID, um, you know, it, COVID people that are you know under that are below the age of eleven. Sorry, I butchered that entire sentence, but I think that this might be. This is not the best way to go about it, but I also don't know a better way to go about it. I do think that you need to mandate, you know, vaccines are done. And I think the government is the ones that should be mandating it because they have some, they have to take care of the health and safety of the people. That's part of their primary priorities. I just don't know how this will go on politically because a lot of Democrats and a lot of Republicans on both sides are very split on this issue. You have a large percentage of African-Americans that are still not taking the vaccine. You also have a large percentage of Trump Republicans that are not taking the vaccine. And the irony is the Trump created the vaccine and Biden enforced the vaccine. So it doesn't really even have anything to do, anything to do with politics. It's just these people's perceptions about the vaccine. And even um, there was like a big football player, Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback, yeah. yesterday came on this interview and said a bunch of crazy stuff and like because he didn't want to take the covid vaccine well let's let's talk about that a little bit he said i was naturally immunized he had been taking like ivermectin i think he was talking to joe rogan or something he got some well they call it well ivermectin's not just for horses let's be real so it's been used for people for a long time like i don't want to get into the whole debate sure if you take a lot of it you might get sick but that's true with many medications they're going through trials right now to determine if it has any effectiveness and they found it's inconclusive so it might work it might not work we don't want to jump to that debate too much but it does show that people are like willing to try almost anything but the vaccine and i don't think it has to do with the vaccine itself i think it's just faith in the government trust in the government like look at the approval ratings of biden and even trump the trust the approval ratings are so low and that goes along it coincides in my opinion with the um with the lower rates of conservatives wanting to get vaccinated and i think the the same would be true with democrats maybe in a different world let's say we have a republican administration they're trying to push it they're saying you guys have to get this done they might have a similar reaction i just think the one thing benefiting to the democratic party this is the thing that always benefits the democratic party is they have the media on their side if this was a Republican administration and Donald Trump was president and he was trying to promote this vaccine, the same people that are like, why are all these white people not getting the vaccine? What is wrong with all these Republican Trump people? Or would have been saying the same thing on the opposite side and the media would have been like, no, 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 we don't have enough evidence to prove that this vaccine is a legit vaccine and all this stuff. And that's the problem with politics. Like, to some extent, it's good that there's a democratic power. For one thing, people are getting vaccinated. How crazy does that sound? Like, all right, yeah, like, you know, the whole storyline is all differentiated to some extent. And you have enough Republicans that are also getting the vaccine because Trump created it. If Trump didn't create the vaccine and this was created under a Democratic administration, like, you know, you'd have more Glenn Becks arguing about how the vaccine isn't great and how we're all like, you know, boys to suffer from it. But there isn't any evidence to show any of that stuff. So I don't know. I think the Democrats themselves have to figure out how they want to go about this. And 
like it needs to be something that they're all in line with and they're all agree and they're all in agreement to do the republicans don't have anything to lose they can have anything democrats can come up with any kind of mandate and the republicans will complain about it and sue them and they will probably be look the better side regardless of whether they agree or don't agree with the vaccine because all they have to be like is that democrats are trying to force this vaccine down people's throat and you know, we don't want and we wouldn't do that. So the Republicans are automatically the winning side in that whole argument. So I don't know. I would rather people just get vaccinated. These stupid people quit complaining about getting the vaccine. Somebody like Aaron Rodgers, he's on my fantasy football team. I got rid of him yesterday because I was so pissed. I'm like, dude, oh my dude's God. getting paid millions of dollars to be a football player. And like you have one thing, one requirement you have to do is literally get vaccinated and you have millions of fans that are waiting for you to play. You have all these teammates that are relying on you to play and you're not getting the vaccine. Sorry about getting on a football rant, but my point is that this is the thing. If you have to get the vaccine, you have to get the vaccine. People are depending on you to get the vaccine. We're all in this together. So is Pratik opposed to individualism then? The individual's right to trump everything, because that is the cornerstone of our society right now. Fatigue is individual freedom. Sorry, go ahead, Tyler. Well, I was just going to say, you got to understand, if you're a professional athlete, like what you put into your body matters a lot. Like you're physically being able to do your job is what allows you to make millions of dollars. So if you did actually feel like this could impact your game, whether it does or not, I don't know. But like if you did feel that way, I can understand being skeptical. But then to go try all these alternative therapies, something I think we have to understand is like people have been doing these alternative therapies for a long time. Steve Jobs died because he refused to get cancer treatment through traditional means. He went through other Eastern or whatever medicines that that didn't end up working for him. But this thing, these have been around for a long time. The skepticism may have gone up, but the idea that people have been anti-vaxxers or not trusting doctors or not trusting the government, all of that together has been around for a long time. So it's not like a new thing. Getting everyone to do anything is almost impossible in a free individualistic society. So you can either go uh, Pratik's way and say, oh, you guys all going to do it. Or you can say, hey, most of you guys did it, and we can't force the rest of you to do it, and let's see what happens. But with that, I, I think this does touch on the elections that have recently gone on. So uh, who wants to break down the, the recent elections and the big impact it had for both Republicans and Democrats? I would give it over to Pratik first. However, I would just say very quickly that I find it a little, a little odd the way in which this has been messaged, because the Republicans... I don't see a clear message from them when it comes to the vaccine. Like, how do we get out of this COVID mess that we've been in? There's no clear answer. The Democrats are like, okay, everyone needs to be vaccinated. What are the Republicans saying? The Republicans, for example, you'll you'll see, uh, which we'll just talk about in Virginia and how they won that race. Um, One of the things that was mentioned was, oh, we're going to get kids back in schools. Um, You know, we're not going to worry about, you know, virtual learning. It doesn't work. And the Democrats would say, oh, well, we've been trying to pass this bill. You have the White House out stumping for all this stuff. And they're trying to pass funding to get um, (laughs) sort of to get people vaccinated and then to get people back in the classroom as quickly as possible. One and then two. Um, And the Republicans just say, oh, well, forget everything else. Let's just get kids back in the classroom because, you know, they're, they're at low risk. What's the big deal? We're making something out of nothing. You know, just send them back and they'll be fine. That's the plan. I think what really hurt them before I start in the story, too, is that with Terry McAuliffe, I can't really pronounce his name right. McAuliffe. 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 Okay, well, Terry McAuliffe, his main thing that probably brought him down, too, was he basically went on a rant about how parents shouldn't have no role in directing the education of their children and doubled down on this comment. Then, like, he was talking about how, like, you know, the only reason parents don't want to send their kids to school is because they are worried about the whole message about LGBT rights and what if their kid comes out as gay and, like, how that would turn about it or protection of transgender students. Like, the dude went on this random tear. And that probably led to his like whole downfall. And he was like, parents that are unaware of sexually explicit content in books, um, they are like what they they don't want their kids to like being aware of what's going on, you know, with terms of their sexuality and all this stuff. People, parents don't want to hear any of that stuff. And he went on this big rant, and that's probably what led to his downfall. Plus, like he started calling Youngkin a racist. 
and like Yunkin and he was like oh Yunkin's just a puppet of Trump and then Yunkin over here is like you know not really fully endorsing anything about Trump and Trump endorsed him on the day of the election because he seemed like he was gonna win like it was like a solid message of him trying to distance himself from Trump and McAuliffe only had that oh well you know Republicans are racist this guy's a racist and like you know these parents don't know what they want to do and that's why they don't want to send their kids to school and they shouldn't have any authority over determining anything and like whenever a state like Virginia loses a bunch of stuff loses a bunch of Democratic votes that is a big deal just because it is Virginia so if you want um Nick can rebut me and then we can go on to the election story oh no it's not a rebuttal we're already in the election story all I would add is mm -hmm. what Pratik is saying is absolutely true I mean having the statement whether it's right or not because the sort of root of, the, of this is like oh some parent you know didn't want this um book taught to her son in school complained about it it turns into a whole thing McAuliffe gets asked about it in a debate and he's like yeah the parents should not have a say and it's like how could you ever say that and expect to do well in an election which is oh you parent of a child who cares about your kid's education and, and personal well-being you should not have any say in their education what they learn about you know, what's going on at school. That's the exact opposite of what we try to do through parent-teacher associations and all the rest of it. So it's just an incredibly stupid comment to make. Um, but fundamentally, like just looking at the numbers, we saw what Pratik is saying. I'm not going to rebut him because we saw it play out. It's a fact that McAuliffe lost college or sorry, um, non-college educated white women. 70, he lost, he only gained 25% of their vote versus 75% going over to the Republican Yunkin. So that's just an incredible chasm. Biden did way better than that. It was much closer to 50-50 there. And McAuliffe just completely dropped the ball. So for all the people saying, oh, this is a re referendum on the Biden presidency, no. None of that had any impact on the Virginia election. Maybe the vaccine mandates, but the rest of it, none. Okay, so... Well, and also... Did you guys hear about like the critical race theory talk and like how it, that was a big discussion yeah. in schools? So critical race theory, uh, I'll just read the definition here. It's an academic concept that's more than 40 years old. The core idea is that race is a social construct and that racism is not merely the product of individual bias or prejudice, but also something embedded in the legal system and policies. And parents were like, if you're teaching our kids that these institutions are just racist and they're purely out to get people that aren't of let, white, let's say, that's dangerous and that's not helpful it's not productive and then they're gonna end up hating themselves for being something just just right by virtue of being white let's say and i i know that's a very controversial thing i know a lot of people are all up in arms about it but going back to what you said before it's like the idea that parents shouldn't have some kind of say in what schools are doing what they're teaching their children i mean ultimately they should have a voice they should be able to voice their concerns and if you're going to come out and say you have no part in this then you're going to have some issues Okay, so um, let me let me go on to the story as a whole. Um, so 2021 election saw major wins for the Republican Party throughout the country, throughout various mayoral and low ballot district elections throughout the country and placed very good fights in two extremely contested gubernatorial elections. So 2012 elections were 2021 elections were this Tuesday. So this is the offbeat election. This is an election that many people they always has lower turnouts because it's not really, you know, many major races that are being fought, but all the mayor races and stuff are usually in 20 in the in this offbeat election. So these um, 2021 elections took place on Tuesday. There were two gubernatorial races, so governor elections that took place in New Jersey and Virginia. And in these two governor elections, Republicans won the Virginia gubernatorial race with Glenn Youngkin beating out former governor Democrat Terry McAuliffe, who refused to concede after his loss. Again, that's the whole conceding thing. No one likes to concede after their losses. Whenever Republicans do it, Democrats get all pissed. And when Democrats do it, Republicans get all pissed. Um, and this Virginia election also saw their first African-American female lieutenant governor and uh, for their first attorney general um, female. And that was a Cuban. And so both of these were both of these candidates were Republicans. So that also pinned into some of the media bias that was going on about how there was so much white supremacism that has taken over the Republican Party. And then you have a lieutenant governor and an attorney general winning in Virginia. And they're both minorities and they're both 
um, females and they're both Republicans. So that was the whole thing in Virginia. And then New Jersey had something, had the opposite, but it was also very similar. So New Jersey saw Democrat Governor Phil Murphy barely defeat Republican contender Jack Sierra in a minimum margin vote. And this vote was also really tight. It took them three days to call the election. And Murphy, before the election, was touted being one of the best Democratic governors in terms of fighting COVID. He had he was famous for his famous like huge state lockdown that took place in New Jersey, and it was a surprising election result because he barely won that election. Um, I think let me tell you the exact election results. It was fifty point nine percent Murphy to forty eight point three percent Ciritelli in New Jersey, which has always been traditionally Democrat, and Murphy had one million. 285 votes while Ciaturelli had 1,219,000 votes. So it was a very close election, very close margin. And yeah, this means that it was technically a bad night for Democrats because they should have been able to blow both of those candidates out in a major, you know, landslide, but that didn't happen. So what are your guys' thoughts on and what does this mean for politics? Well, I, I think I was watching some of the responses of like the Democratic media about this whole thing, and they're kind of just being delusional. They're saying the only reason this happened is because there's too many racist white people that have been indoctrinated into this conservative ideology that's it's toxic and we need to get rid of. But really, I think it was sort of a referendum on progressive politics and how far it's gone on the progressive side and how people are unwilling to budge on certain issues. And we, we've spoken about the vaccines and what's been going on in schools i think that all plays into it but i think we are seeing a tide uh against democrats uh, essentially right what but the think? progressives would say this is case in point why you should run more progressive candidates because mcauliffe could not get the base out to vote for him and that's why he lost uh in virginia and what they can say, say that, that but they're probably going to lose the next election just as just the same well, just i, I because- don't he, he wasn't super progressive. He was a little bit more moderate. And in fact, he's been Virginia's governor in the past. He wasn't super far to the left. But to your point, I guess, he did get swept up in the whole critical race theory debate, which no one even knows what the hell it's doing or what kids are actually being taught. It's like, oh, did you know that this isn't being taught in your school system? It's like, who cares? I don't like it. It's an issue. I'm voting against it. Well, maybe, but in my point of view, it's kind of the whole Democratic Party. It's no individual. I think it's a referendum on the whole idea, the whole idea of the movement of the Democratic Party and how it's gone farther to the left. I think people just crave a m- more moderation. And on the Republican side, I don't know if they see moderation, but they just see less of whatever's happening on the left. See, I think, I think Biden has, an, uh, I think Republicans have an advantage because Biden's currently in office. So anything that's going on in the country like literally acts in the Republicans' favor. I don't think the Republicans have done anything really to achieve any of their successes that they have. I was li- literally listening to Ben Shapiro before our podcast, and he was like to saying that, you know, the Republicans have an agenda and the Democrats don't, and this is why you see this major, you know, like sweep of, by the Republican Party in the elections. But I'm like, I don't think that. I think the exact opposite. Democrats have a lot of things going for them, but they just haven't been, you know, together lately i think that the problem is as well is that democrats have too much too much focus on things that they don't really need to focus on they need to focus on what their message is they have been focusing way too much on this whole race relations thing and it hasn't really panned out in their favor even in his own election like whenever you have like had republican candidates that are minorities winning in elections it kind of defeats the like whole message of white supremacism which if anybody watched the whole 2020 uh, 2021 election coverage on cnn msnbc you name it anything apart from like fox news which i don't really care for fox news either their news coverage is kind of crappy um it's so much focus on how the Republicans have Trump and Trump means racism. And because Trump means racism, it's so much white supremacism going on. And that's why these elections have turned out the way they are is because there's so much white supremacism and all these white people are coming out to vote. It's like, no, like the way they're looking at it is all wrong. And whenever you have a lot of minorities, even like me that vote Republican, like it's kind of like, okay, well, where does all that white supremacism logic go? Like it doesn't like really pan out 
out with the entire system. Like maybe you can argue Trump was a little bit racist, but you can't argue that all of these people that were running were racist. Like Youngkin was very famous. Like his thing was the reason why he won in the Virginia elections is not only because McAuliffe was like a bad candidate and said a bunch of stuff and that you shouldn't have said. It was also because Youngkin was a good candidate. Youngkin knew how to play politics. He basically had Trump on one side, said what he wanted to say. He laid out his comments. People that were voting for him, like he voted, he got a lot of like on the line and mid middle of the line voters because he got a lot of, he also got a lot of women to vote for him in much higher numbers than McAuliffe. And the reason for all that stuff is that he distanced himself from Trump a little bit. So all of that stuff that these people were complaining about how Trump and him not being able to like, you know, go through elections properly and him being racist and all this stuff, he distanced himself. He acknowledged the stuff that Trump said that was right. But then like, you know, even Trump had to endorse him in the end because he won like fair and square and he won in a way where it was like he didn't really have trump's endorsement until the election day and the people that voted for him voted for him because they didn't like mcauliffe and they thought that he was an all right candidate so i think that youngkin is a very interesting character and the fact is that when we look at elections this is what we have to look at is that a lot of elections that have been happening right now have been happening in a ways where you're voting against somebody you don't like like biden won because people didn't like trump like this guy, Yunkin won because people didn't like McAuliffe. And people didn't like McAuliffe to such an extent that even people that are diehard Democrat voters were on the fence of voting for him. And I think that that's the way, that's the election of politics and the way politics has become is that whatever party is not in power, they have an advantage because they really don't have to do anything that special. But if they're able to say that they're better than the other candidate and the other candidate does goofy stuff, it works in their favor. So, well, I just thoughts. want to tack on to the point, Pratik, that you just made around um, how it's not the same voting block. So, for example, um, Youngkin, I, I know uh, like you and Tyler are both saying people are trying to make it out like Trump. Trump was not running in this election. He's been out of office for almost a year at this point. At some point as the Democrats, you've got to realize Trump, even though he has a lot of influence in the party, you're not running against him as a person. You're running against some of his ideas. And his ideas did very well in the last major election cycle that we had. We saw down ballot, ballot candidates on the Republican side picking up wins because they didn't have Trump's personal baggage. And so one thing I wanted to point out is in Virginia, for instance, because I'm a lot more familiar with that race than I was the, the New Jersey race. But in Virginia, you have the Hampton Roads Black Caucus, which endorsed Terry McAuliffe, who's the Democrat. They endorsed him in 2013, and they again endorsed uh, Ralph Northam, who's on, another Democrat from Virginia, who's been the governor since 2017. But this year, in 2021, they endorsed the Republican. They endorsed Yunkin. Why? Because he actually took the time to go sit down and meet with him. Yunkin met with a lot of different black communities, uh, community groups. And that goes to, uh, to his credit and his platform's credit, like Winsome Sears. Um, the What is she? The lieutenant governor that she ended up winning? I forget if it's the AG or the, the lieutenant governor. In either case, um, she was born in Kingston, Jamaica. You have a major <laughs> Republican, like Pratik was saying, who... She's, first of all, she wasn't even born in this country. So just like Ted Cruz, uh, she's an immigrant. Uh, she is black. She is a woman. She's a Marine Corps veteran. And the Republicans went out and voted for her in droves. And so, I, sure, she's part of that main ticket, but she's literally the number two person in Virginia going forward. If anything happens to, um, to, to Yunkin, the Republican who just won, then you're going to have a black female Marine Corps veteran born in Jamaica as the new governor of Virginia. And to say that Republicans are racist, having that as like you're having uh, Winsome Sears as your number two person, I don't see how that stuff sticks. And Pratik, to your point of being a minority voter and just assuming that, you know, you're going to vote Democrat or whatever. I think that's a little toxic. And it showed in this election where McAuliffe took a lot of that for granted, didn't even meet with some of these black caucuses who endorsed him in the past and lost because of it. I think for a long time, the Democrats had gotten steam with that messaging. And now that it's not working, they don't really know what to do. They don't really know how to reform that message. You see it in the media. You're seeing it all over the place. And honestly, like I, I think these elections are going to keep going the Republicans' ways, as, as I said before. I don't think Democrats have a clear enough message while they're in power. Pratik, you said that the, the people in power are at a disadvantage. I think that's only true when things are not going well. So when inflation's going up. People aren't working. We have these vaccine mandates. We had Afghanistan. There's so many things that 
people have a right to be angry about. And with that, it's going to be difficult to garner support when you don't have a clear message and goal and direction that is practical and realistic. Calling everyone white supremacists and racists when they're just clearly not is just delusional. And the messaging makes no sense. One interesting thing I wanted to point out, critique very briefly, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this, because I actually think all of us agree on this stuff. But I genuinely think that if the Texas abortion bill had happened like this week or, you know, two weeks ago, I think the Dems would have swept because that's such a big issue in, in, in Virginia and New Jersey that would have gotten a lot of women to vote, even though it's an off year, particularly to your point, and turnout's going to be low. If any of the abortion stuff was current news this week, I think the Dems would have won. And so in, in one sense, I think it's almost fortunate timing for the Republicans that things like, and sure, I'm sure Afghanistan contributed to a little bit. So that would have been a knock against the Democrats had that occurred this week. But I think part of it is the timing. Nothing's really going on right now. The only things top of mind are vaccine mandates. And that's about it. And, and I guess jobs. So and those are the two things that Republicans yeah. really differentiate themselves on. And had abortion been an issue, I think it would have gone differently. But that's pure speculation. What do you I guys think, think? That's a good point. I think the crazy thing is that the Democrats have the media on their side. And that's what we have to remember is even any of these election coverage things, you're like, why are they so biased towards Democrats? Like, what made them become so biased towards one party or another? Is it just because of Trump? Maybe. But even before Trump, they used to be biased towards the Democratic Party. I still remember when the Hillary Clinton was running and she had like four other white people running with her and they were talking about how Republicans were racist. And then you look at the Republican primaries, it's all color. You got Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Ben Carson. You got some Carlo Fiorina. You got all kinds of different races, different genders, different ethnicities, different like, you know, all that stuff. And I think that the irony is that that whole media message has always like been there. The media literally distorts information. I mean, I'm not saying that the media is like, you know, lying about stuff, but they distort information to be in the favor of Democrats. Like, just think about things like the Afghanistan stuff. Like, we forgot about Afghanistan in two weeks. Like, if I was an Afghan, if my family, if I had a family member that was in Afghanistan, or if I had someone that fought in Afghanistan or died or whatever, I feel like that whole thing devalues all of their life's efforts that they put in, even potentially them dying in that country. And I think that the whole news story, the whole news phenomenon with all that stuff has all been shifted towards Democrats. Even all the evening night show people like, you know, what's his name? Stephen Colbert. They're all Democrat. You don't have Republican evening, evening night people. Like my point is that all this stuff is focused on one party. They have an advantage and not even an advantage. They have a clear advantage in terms of media biases, like to the point where even their own election coverage is biased. But like whenever all that stuff happens and Republicans still win, I think that's bad. It's a bad sign for the Democrats. But at the same time, I don't I agree with Nick a little bit. Like, I don't think the Republicans have done anything in power either. Like the Republicans there right now are literally walking shells of people. Like, what has McConnell done? Nothing. They can't even fight for things that Biden is doing against things Biden's doing. That's like the whole that's the whole thing. Your whole movement as an opposition party. As an opposition, you're just supposed to be anti whatever the people in power are doing. They even suck at that. They can't get enough people to vote for one side or another. And then you got like Mitch McConnell will just jump ship on things whenever he feels is going to like, you know, screw over, screw over Republican voters. Like you're like, dude, though, your whole objective right now is to be anti-Democrat. That whenever Democrats were there, they were good at being anti-Republican. Everything Donald Trump did, they were anti. They even went anti on positions like tariffs, that they were all pro-tariffs for years on end. But whenever whenever Trump comes in, oh man, Trump doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know how to do yada, yada, yada. Immigration, same thing. They don't have an opinion on immigration right now. But when Trump was there, they were anti, you know, everything Trump did on immigration. I think the Republicans suck at what they do. And the fact is that Biden has done really bad as a president so far, in my opinion. He hasn't done anything to impress. He hasn't done anything to piss off anyone. Democrats are counting the days till he's gone. Like, you're like, dude, this guy doesn't have anything in his favor, really. But even then, like, Democrats should have been able to win this election. And the fact is that whenever Democrats barely win an election in states like New Jersey, 
that's kind of sad. Like, regardless of whatever people say about what's going on with COVID and all this stuff, like, your Democrat people that are, like, you know, all about COVID and complaining about mass mandate or, like, you know, about if we need to have more mass mandates and stuff, they're never going to vote Republican. That's the fact of life. It's not like Republicans are like, we need to endorse, we need to have mass mandates here and we need to force people to get vaccinated and stuff. People like me are off-balls in this. I'm more of a Democrat than I am a Republican when it comes to vaccines. And my point is that whenever that's the situation like do y'all like democrat this is their democrats election to lose and they still blow it and i don't think anything's going to change with the midterms because they are so like confused on what they want their core message to be and they're so stuck on this white supremacism bs like you're like all right donald trump's not going to be president for the next four years even if donald trump runs like do something special that makes people want to vote for you apart from republicans or racists because whenever you're a racist republican voter that is a minority well they're probably going to be more likely to vote against you because they're apparently racist and they're not even white so i don't know you guys you guys heard it here first trump's uh critiques a democrat no <laughs> <laughs> but with that rant i've talked enough about the media i want to circle back a little bit to what nick had said before about the abortion thing yeah. um the abortion bill in texas he said basically if it had happened at a more timely manner not instead of like a month or whatever ago if it happened this week right before elections it would have had a big, big impact i think that's absolutely true but i also still think that abortion bill is top of mind for a lot of people the supreme court battles are still underway we're gonna see what's ha going on with all of that i think it had an impact but the fact that that wasn't able to carry them to victory again is a very damning sign for democrats in my opinion I don't think the issue just went... I think it's more topical than something like Afghanistan. I think Afghanistan did, after a few weeks, kind of went out of the Americans' mind. But I don't think the abortion bill did. And I, I still think people voted for that issue and even still weren't able to garner enough support. And, and I, I think that's just a terrible sign for them. And that's what I was trying to say, too, whenever I was making my whole argument, is that the Democrats have made abortion a big storyline right now. Like, people forgot about Afghanistan. But, I mean... Afghanistan deserved as much like you know of a storyline as abortion did because we've had but, but millions, hold we've on had but, people but, die in that country we but taking are, troops away isn't as in, isn't as impactful let's say is sending our troops out there that might get killed you know what I mean it's I mean, less on on the mind would, of Americans because we're not going out there to fight anymore we're, I would put it this way though if I if I had family members that have died in Afghanistan serving in some war let's say you had a parent die in afghanistan serving in some war and now afghanistan has been completely downplayed because americans literally just botched that entire situation altogether well why aren't they talking about it because the media is biased but my point is that that person is more likely still going to put more more influence on afghanistan than he is some abortion debate because that whole abortion debate stuff is not going anywhere because the supreme court is not going to reverse their decision and obviously democrats can try to put more supreme court justices there but they're not doing anything like that or arguing anything like that because they don't want to piss off their you know like not their educated you know voter base so all that stuff is like really like what are they doing the abortion thing like okay yeah you can complain about the supreme court all day what are you gonna do yell at like yell at all these people in the ghosts of ruth bader ginsburg for not saying something like you're like what do you do the supreme court is done they made their decision not like you're gonna do anything it comes to congress they have some bill going on but i mean if that congress bill like apart from that like what can you really do and even with the congress bill like all it is is just like a referendum type vote where they're like, oh, we want to make sure that women's rights are protected. But apart from that, there really isn't anything. And I just think that that's sad for the Democrats. They have everything going in their favor. The media is on their side. They have nothing else really to worry about. And they're still not able to win. Hey, Sorry, well, that was my um, external I guess on that, no, on that, You don't have to <laughs> apologize, critique. On that uh, note of pessimism, I would say... The House passing the one trillion infrastructure bill with the two hundred and twenty eight to two hundred six vote, and Biden saying, you know, Biden waiting for a photo op, waiting a week until Congress gets back um, from a one week, uh, week recess. Um, like this is a major priority and a major promise that Biden's been pushing, which is we will get an infrastructure bill done. And as much as Manchin and Kristen Sinema have been holding it up, they've finally gotten it signed. And so 
I, this is going to be a big deal. However, I don't think it's going to materialize fast enough. So for example, you have stuff in there like, oh, we're going to have 500,000 EV charging stations. We're going to have water infrastructure, which adds to what the Obama administration passed under WIFIA, which is the Water Infrastructure Finance and Innovation Act of 2014, which has put $12 billion in financing towards water. None of that matters when you have stories like Flint. Flint happened after that. And so if you've poured all of this money into our water infrastructure and you still have stuff like that happening, all it takes is one bad story to completely derail any of what the Democrats end up funding these next couple of years. So however many hundreds of millions of dollars they end up pouring into this, for example, this is appropriated $50 million per year from 2022 to 2026, and then 25 additional million dollars per year over the same time period for, for other water-related loans, you know, replacing lead pipes, the rest of it. Um, I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like a lot of these things are so long-term that it's not very tangible to people, and it's not exactly like, when's the last time someone's ever gone out to vote and they're like, oh man, I remember that water loan that the federal government made for my local thing. No one cares about that. That's not top of mind for any voters. So even like the one Democrat win recently, I don't even see it as much of a win. It's literally just a talking point, which is, oh, we can still get things done as a party. But that took so much strong arming. That took such a big deal. And honestly, I don't even think it would have been passed this week had it not been for the loss in Virginia. Um, Maybe that's, you know, complete garbage. Maybe it still would have passed anyway. It probably still would have passed anyway. But I really do think that Virginia gives um, the loss there. And granted, they won very narrowly in New Jersey, so they shouldn't even take that for granted. But both those races give the Democrats a lot to worry about. And on the plus side, I hope they end up doing something about it. And that means they actually have to, you know, get stuff done when they're in power. Because it's not that, like the Republicans are blocking any of this. It's people in their own party who are stopping them from accomplishing their agenda. So I don't know how they do this going forward, but I fear that if it keeps getting kicked down the road, it's just going to be too late because no one does anything over Thanksgiving. No one does anything for Christmas. No one does anything for New Year's. And by the time we hit January, okay, what are you going to... Everyone's forgotten all these deals and conversations they've had, so you got to start fresh. And that, to me, I don't know. I think it spells... You know, a pretty lackluster year for the Democrats. How do you guys feel about it uh, going forward? Infrastructure bill, big deal, or who cares? Well, didn't they want like $3.5 trillion to start? And they got down to 1.2, which is, is I understand negotiations happen and all that, but like that is way, way less than they were trying to promise. And then you still have these progressive Democrats that are saying, we want more social spending measures. A few of them even voted against this, this bill, even though it was... It was reasonable. It just didn't include enough social spending measures. And that's something they're going to be keep pushing for. They were actually promised to get a lot of these spending measures. And that's why you had any progressive signing up for this bill, passing it. And I think you're right. The fact that the whole Virginia election must have swayed their decision to vote on this, saying we need to have some kind of unity, show some kind of message to the people before going into the new year. So it's not a great sign. They're trying to tout it as a big win for them. But I don't think it's going to matter that much to voters in the long run. Yeah, and just very briefly wanted to say that, Tyler, it's not like they completely got rid of the $3 trillion wish list that they had. They split it into two bills. So this one is $1 trillion, and then they have another one that's going to be $1.8 trillion, which would kind of bring it up to three in total. But basically it was, hey, we can't pass this whole thing overall as a one big package, so we've got to split it into smaller things, which, frankly, I think that's how it should be. But in yeah, any it should case, be. It's reasonable. Critique, what are you thinking? I think we spend a lot of money. That's what I'm thinking. I feel like it's crazy that we spend trillions of dollars and we're debating about how many more trillions of dollars we can spend. How much money have we spent in the last like couple of years? Trump and wow, but don't you think infrastructure is worth it? Like I don't know. You got man. these roads falling apart. Like the water See, is not working. I would I would say it's worth it. But what have they done in the past? I, mean, I feel like infrastructure bills are all like the least contested votes. They always have billions of dollars going into it. This is like probably the first trillion dollar infrastructure bill. Like, woohoo. What have they done with their billions of dollars that they spend on infrastructure? I feel like every time I go drive down the road, they've been trying to build something to build some road or reconstruct a road and they've been working on
working on that thing for like five, six years. Like, talk about efficiency. If somebody gave us like millions of dollars to do something, like we would be efficient with it. When someone, when the government spends millions and billions of dollars, even trillions of dollars to do stuff, man, who knows what's even happening. I just think that this is what's crazy about this. Like, I'm not saying that it's bad thing that this bill passed. I don't know exactly all the semantics of it. I find it crazy how like we just spend like so much money on different programs and different parts of things and i just feel like we need to be able to account for what we're spending money on like if you're spending four hundred thousand dollars or if you're spending i think what was this story that nick had 12.1 billion dollars are going towards the financing of water okay that's 12 billion dollars now that's that's more money than like you know or probably a whole state makes in like you know 10 15 years they're spending that much money on financing water now if that 12 that was billion, over the last six years and that covered 34 million americans which is a big deal but i guess again that's fair. no one really no one is like that's oh fair. man 34 million americans covered underwater let's vote democrat no one is thinking no that. no 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 i know yeah it's 30, 34 million not billion but yeah it's 12 billion and 34 million but my point is that that's the issue with this stuff is like i don't really know exactly how to feel about it because i'm not like i'm not gonna say that you know we shouldn't spend money on stuff but what i'm saying is we need to spend money on stuff in an efficient manner we need to know how much money is going towards the stuff and how much benefit that is creating. You had to do the whole cost-benefit analysis type stuff. And I really don't know if the government people do any of this stuff. Republicans are all confused anyway. We're all asleep trying to figure out how we're going to stop them. And critique, we still suck at critique. It. You and... know it's mandated. You know it's <laughs> mandated for every big project that they have to put in a cost-benefit analysis. And they have to publish that in the Federal Register. And they have to get people to comment on whatever they're doing and the rest of it. You know for a fact that they do that. I get that you were, you know, using that as a rhetorical But Nick, you flourish, know the governments, but... they suck like at managing Oh, they the totally money. suck. If it were the, thing private... is, the thing is, no one's going to look at that. The only people who look at how much the government actually pegs for cost-benefit analysis is either the CBO or GAO, which no one cares what the hell they say. It's just used for talking points. No one actually gives yeah. them serious you know, stuff. Or two, it's the contracting companies who are making fat stacks off of all these federal contracts and it's against their own self-interest to ever blow the whistle and say we're spending money inefficiently. I mean, I agree. I'm just saying that, you know, that's my issue that I have with the bill. I don't really have anything in particular. Like, I think It's, it's more an issue bill. with the government what, then. It's what, the fact that yeah. government doesn't spend money appropriately. And I think we all have that issue. But, like, what do you yeah. do about that? <laughs> and the only thing I wasn't, I didn't like about this thing is that Joe Biden was going to wait to you know sign the bill he had to go to do some photo op he was gonna go meet his family you know in a one week recess i'm like dude you don't have any accomplishment so far as the president literally zero like the best thing that you've done is like not done much and that's like you might get like some three percent libertarians on the vote like oh yeah biden hasn't done much let's vote for him but i feel like you know in this situation Dude, sign the bill and get on with it. It's not like you have all kinds of other, you know, accomplishments at wake. Like, you know. Yeah, I libertarians like are like, get it up. Biden, falling asleep <laughs> at the UN conference? Let's go. <laughs> and like, all I feel like is all Biden's big claim to fame right now is that he's not Trump. But he hasn't done anything to, like, you know, excite anyone. Like, regardless of whether i'm whether i'm a republican or democrat like i want the best thing for my country i want my country to be in the best light like what is biden doing like i have no clue dude's falling asleep at climate conferences all he talks about is climate all day he's making money off from exxon and chevron like dude like all right this is biden Ooh, yeah. he's making it, money from the same people he's complaining about he's making money from pfizer and moderna and trying to make a whole you know governmental national institution of health like you're like dude like, this guy is such an interesting character because he defines corruption at its peak. Like, you're like, you know, when we talk about establishment politicians and what all these establishment politicians do every time they're in office, these are the establishment politicians that you elected to be president of the country. Like, he's acting exactly like you would you'd expect any establishment politician to act. You know, I honestly feel like even in the next elections, when it's going to come to 2022 and then the main elections, you're going to see so many primary candidates that have been running, that have been in office for such a long period of time. These establishment people that are going to lose in their primaries, Republican and Democrat, because people are just tired of people like Biden. You're like, dude, this is why people like Donald Trump even became president. 
It's like, regardless of how people hated Trump or didn't like Trump, like, at least Trump, like, you know, had that thing where he was not bought out by anyone. Like, people like Biden, they're just there. He's going to be there for but four years, maybe even eight. Isn't it a little scary that, like, with the low approval ratings, that Americans are going to look for some demagogic, charismatic leader, like Trump was, maybe worse than Trump, good or bad, I don't know, but they're looking for something to rally around, to fight for, and when that leader pops up, whether it's good or bad, we're going to go gung-ho in that direction. That's what scares me, because that's, uh, when you see nations fall apart, like, if you look at Nazi Germany, for instance, that's something similar that happened. They wanted to be invigorated, the economy wasn't going well, they were able to boost it back up, provide a new direction for people. Um, it, It could be a good thing, but it also could be a really terrible thing. Um, the fact that we don't have support for our leaders at this point. But see, I'm not, think? I'm not a populist though. Like, I feel like, po- I mean, but I'm not, I'm not anti-populist either. Populism has a ring to it. Like, would you rather have a bunch Milk of politicians? Fence sitter. I'm, I'm on the fence when it comes to populism because there's a lot of pros and cons to it. I would rather have a politician that says what he wants to do and does it than have a bunch of these losers that are just there forever arguing about, like... Uh, it's kind of like the Republican Party trying to find death tax for the last 50 years. Why have, why have they not gotten rid of death tax? They've been in power for so many times where they've had the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and they still can't accomplish anything. My point is that that's the problem with that whole situation is that I'm tired of these complacent people. I would rather all these Republicans and Democrats that are establishment losers and then have all these random new people come in their so primaries. So you like the progressives? To so you... some extent, I would rather hmm. progressive people than establishment Democrats, even if I disagree with everything, their entire message. At least they stand for something. At least AOC is, if she ever becomes president or something, like even if I'll completely disagree with all of her policies, at least she will stand up for what she got elected for. What has Biden done? Biden's been in office probably longer than most politicians have ever even, you know, seen a political anything any political seat dude's been in office basically since like the 70s he's still there now he's president like what has he done as president i don't know but that's the whole thing if somebody like jeb bush was there granted i'm a big jebber like jeb bush would have been the same (laughs) exact thing as joe biden and my point is that you're the only person ever to to have called himself a jebber by (laughs) exactly But my point is that, I mean, even if Jeb, Bush, if Jeb Bush was president and if Jeb Bush was doing the same stuff as Biden is doing, because we saw Donald Trump being a president, now we have something to compare to. Like, who wants somebody that doesn't even have enough time to sign a bill, which he's been fighting for for the last two months, and is might going to be might be his only accomplishment that he has in this entire year. But instead of him doing that, he's better off falling asleep at UN conferences and eating ice cream at some place and getting a photo op like dude this is all joe biden does this is joe biden as a president would you rather have joe biden or aoc what what could biden have done in this past year that would have excited you or invigorated the public that you would think would have been effective i think i think joe biden lacked policy if that's a thing like i mean regardless of whether we thought about donald trump and how effective he was at doing stuff he was always doing something he was always coming up with some idea some strategy some agenda and doing about trying to get it passed even if sometimes the people that were on his party didn't get an agreement with him his first two years were similar to biden's first two years there was a lot of inner party fighting but i mean but the thing is that the people that were voting for the republican party were happy that they were like oh donald trump's our president that means we might get something done this guy actually cares about getting stuff done what does joe biden care about no one knows joe biden is that is that is that dude that's literally sitting there in his position that has so much ability to do so much stuff and create so much change and all he's done is nothing and i feel like you know Maybe, but, but maybe sometimes, that's what I would say. Look, in, in no defense of Joe Biden, I don't think he's done a great job. But, like, doing a lot of stuff isn't always better than doing less stuff. Um, you had a lot of chaos. Look, the Trump administration, we can glorify it if we want a bit. But there were there was a lot of chaos. Remember, he yeah. brought in, like, the mooch. All his press secretaries had issues. Like, there's so much infighting. He would call out random things at random times. Uh, but he would also say incredibly stupid stuff. Yeah. So it, it, you kind of want to balance, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I don't exactly. think you want to be too far on either end of the spectrum. 
And I feel like we're headed more towards the Trump direction than the Biden direction. In but the I think I disagree. I, I disagree with you, Tyler, because I want a god emperor. I want someone who knows what's up. I remember when there was that hurricane, it was heading towards the Caribbean. And Trump has this big picture of where the hurricane is going to hit. And he takes a Sharpie and literally starts drawing <laughs> on it. He's like, oh, all of our weather people and satellites, they're wrong. This is where it's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I want someone like that, dude. I want someone like that in charge. It'll give me confidence. But pr- yeah. to Pratik's point, I guess, earlier um, about getting everyone out of office, it's nothing new in the American political system. We've elected outsiders in the past. I mean, go back to Andrew Jackson. Look at Ronald Reagan. And now look at Trump. We've elected political in- outsiders or even you know people who we wouldn't really necessarily deem as an insider like i don't even know if you could consider well was eisenhower maybe maybe so jfk wasn't either he was also yeah jfk was an outsider also he was a he was a catholic which was the first you know ever um so i feel like we've we always have this tendency to try to look outside the norm to innovate that's kind of what our society is all about and i like that about our country um but i think you know, I, I think I've just convinced myself listening to you guys over the past five minutes that that uh, I can't believe I'm saying it, but I, I think I am happy with the Biden administration so far because I think <laughs> his sort of and I don't think he's senile. I don't think he's all these things that people are making him out to be, um, but it, he is old and it does show. Um, but I think there's so many young, you know, idealistic people in the party People like Pete Buttigieg, who's the Secretary of Transportation over at DOT. You've got AOC and all these other people. Like, they cannot afford to let Biden fail. And those people are so driven, and in Buttigieg's case, pretty capable, um, that I just think that those are like some hardcore establishment people who I see as, like, even though they are outsiders in terms of their identities— when it comes to their actual like belief in institutions, you know, working for all of these, you know, structures that, for example, I'll keep harping on Buttigieg here because even though he's this young gay mayor vet from the Midwest, and you're like, oh man, that that seems like he would do pretty well with the Democrats. Um, but on the other hand, he's worked for McKinsey. <laughs> he's been in the army. Like he's been in all of these. Like he is very corporate to to his core. There's nothing like outsider about him there. He's not off at these startups. He's literally at these big corporations or big government agencies. And none of that is cute. And yet I really see those people as very capable and driven. And I don't think they will let Biden, who sort of pins the hope of the establishment, like what Pratik was saying with um, Joe Biden, or sorry, not Joe Biden, with um, they, they look similar to me for some reason, Jeb Bush. They've got similar names, JB, JB. Um, but those establishment politicians, unfortunately, if if Biden doesn't do well, then yeah, I think it'll be their death for a little bit. Um, but then moving forward, I mean, that's part of the reason why Trump lost. And, and frankly, I'm kind of glad because at least on an international scene, I think it caused so much turmoil and chaos where our messaging was all over the place. Like, oh, are we supporting NATO? Are we not supporting NATO? Do we want Germany to start building up this big, strong army again when we've literally, like, went out of our way to neuter them in the first place? <laughs> like, do we want any of this stuff to really happen? Do we? How do we want to, you know, appear on climate change? Is it going to be, like, I bet you a ton of countries right now are second-guessing, like, okay, Biden is saying all this stuff now. Trump was saying something completely different. Obama was saying something completely different. Like, whoever's next in office, uh, we don't trust the fact that the United States is going to be good on their word. And I feel like that's something that is important when you are the hegemon, when you are the leading superpower. I think something like that is very important, which is consistency. And to know that when it comes to democratic norms, for example, all the stuff about the election, I mean, domestically, it's a very different conversation. But on an international basis, we constantly go to these countries and say, oh, we'll give you some funding for democratic norms and the rest of it. Um, But you can't have this corruption. You can't have, you know, all these elections thrown in flux. You can't have people like Putin saying, you know, I've won all of the vote and imprisoning his political prisoners. Um, It's not something we endorse abroad. And I don't know, man. So as much as it's bad for Americans domestically, I think internationally, Biden has been, granted, Afghanistan was a huge mess, but at least we're a little bit more consistent now and more clear in how we're approaching things. And 
you know, I, I guess on that, do you guys want to talk at all about Ethiopia? Because, I mean, we've got a rough over here. We've got the vaccine mandates and all, all the rest of it. But over in Ethiopia, they're in the middle of a civil war. You know, if you're an American over there, the State Department just said, hey, get out of town. <laughs> come, come back over here. Like, you, you shouldn't be in Ethiopia. It's a total mess right now. So, yeah, um, the State Department urged all U.S. citizens in Ethiopia to leave the country as soon as possible on Friday as an alliance of anti-government forces vowed to see the East African nation's leadership dismantled. The security environment in Ethiopia is very fluid, the U.S. Embassy in Addis Ababa warned in a statement published online. We advise all U.S. citizens who are in Ethiopia to leave the country as soon as possible, it said, adding their commercial fights could be booked from their capital, Bowl, Inter Capitals Bowl International Airport. It comes after the State Department issued a level four do not travel advisory warning Americans against traveling to Ethiopia due to armed conflict, civil unrest, and the potential for terrorism and kidnapping in border areas. Yeah, and actually right after that, it says, for those still in Ethiopia or planning to go, the department advises they draft a will, designate appropriate if insurance beneficiaries, and discuss a plan with loved ones regarding the care of children, pets, and property and belongings. That's kind of scary. I mean, if that's not like uh, the biggest warning you can send out to people, draft a will if you plan to go to this place. I don't know what is. Yeah, and what's crazy there is the Ethiopian Prime Minister won a Nobel Peace Prize a couple of years ago for ending this you know, long-standing war in Eritrea, which neighbors Ethiopia. This is sort of northeastern Africa, for people who don't know. Um, and that Prime Minister, who won a Nobel Peace Prize, said, quote, that they would bury their enemies with their blood and bones. <laughs> so this is a guy who's winning a Nobel Prize. You've got this terrible tragedy unfolding. Uh, just to talk about it very briefly, because I know we're already over an hour, and we talked a lot about domestic politics today, um, but Pratik, Tyler, any thoughts on the situation? Well, I'll, I'll let Pratik go, but I just have to say, like, Nobel Peace Prize winners have not been, like, the top-notch people as of late. Like, they haven't been picking people that have, you know, done great things for the world. It's kind of a political game at this point. I think, I think this is a sad story, and this is why I always argue that America needs to be somewhat involved in some of these countries that are lower developing and less developed countries in terms of them being able to establish a stronger democratic type nation or at least some kind of norms of democracy. I think that whenever you have you know leaders like this that are there, it just kind of makes it more iffy if you are a citizen in that country because you're worried about the rights that you have you may not have many rights and you might not be able to live the life that you deserve and i think that that's what everyone wants no one wants to like be living in a country where they don't have an ability to do stuff or even say what they want to say and i think with ethiopia it's one of those type of crises no i was just gonna say ethiopia they've they've got a rough i don't know they, they've had it pretty rough these uh past couple of years um, so they had um, locusts, which I think we talked about almost a year ago, where they had billions of locusts <laughs> going across Ethiopia, eating all the crops, ruining people's livelihoods, and it, it ruined 200,000 hectares uh, of land, which is 772 square miles. Um, I forget how many square miles of Rhode Island is as a state, but 772, uh, that's pretty big. So. I don't know. It, it really is a country that's struggling. I think you see um, sort of we talked about establishment over here domestically, but establishment over there in Ethiopia, essentially um, this sort of northwestern part or, or northern part of the country, the Tigray region. Um, I probably butchered that Tigray. Um, I think that's a better pronunciation. But uh, in any case, that part of it was sort of the old political dynasty that had been ruling the country for a while. They were sort of this um, gateway where they were well positioned in the MENA region, which is the Middle East and North Africa for uh, trade. And I think Europe, you know, kind of went through there as well. And so it, it really is unfortunate, just everything that's happened. I know unfortunate definitely downplays the fact that there's massacres, gang rape, kidnappings, and just overall terrible turmoil and tragedy. Um, but it, it really does seem to parallel a lot of things these past couple of years, where you have these um, political institutions that have been around for a while, People end up getting sick of them. Other people come to power, and then you eventually have these struggles. And Ethiopia is just one of the cases where the struggle for power has actually turned into an active conflict. So we talk about brinksmanship uh, on the show with China and Taiwan. So I hope that nothing like that ends up happening with an active conflict. 
Um, but to anyone, I don't think anyone's listening to our podcast in Ethiopia. Uh, but if you are, you know, best of luck to your country. You know, there'll be brighter days ahead. And, you know, maybe don't give this guy a, a Nobel Peace Prize the next time around <laughs> for the prime minister. Yeah. And with that, that was episode 52 of Politicana. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And we will catch you next week. Later.